Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a brilliant day so far. I am, I know I say this every single week because every guest that I bring on the show is just so damn delightful, but I am like so pumped and excited for all of you to meet this week's incredible guest, Miss Britt Lefko. So Britt is my personal coach. Um, you know, I've been working with Britt for the last six, I think seven months now, and my life is dramatically different from the day that from 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 before and after. I mean, I can literally attribute almost all of not all, but a lot of my biggest breakthroughs um, to the work that I've been doing with Brit. And in this episode, you guys are going to know why. Not only are you going to experience Brit's personality, her energy, her vivacious way of explaining impact, joy, abundance, and her own belief systems around how to live a fulfilling life, but you're going to really get an idea of how the subconscious works. You're going to get an idea of how your beliefs play a role in you creating the life you want. So a little bit of background on Brit. She's a business and personal development coach who specializes in coaching entrepreneurs and executives who are looking to push through glass ceilings, up-level in their business, and create more joy and authenticity in their lives. For over 20 years, Brit has been expanding upon the groundbreaking work of her father, Morty Lefko, whose belief-based neuroscientific approach to business and personal development has been instrumental in the growth of individuals and organizations around the world. So Brit really took what her father created and expanded on it and made it her own by infusing her own journey, her own processes, her own brilliant way of looking at things to embody this this transformative way of 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 transforming your beliefs from the inside out. And she's really developed this customized methodology that helps clients identify their blind spots and create unwavering confidence to accelerate growth without um to accelerate growth and just create the impact that they want to create in the world. And I love Brit. Like, I adore Brit. She is literally one of my favorite human beings on the planet. And uh, I, I know how much of an impact that her work and her own proprietary ways of, of supporting uh, transformation has, has really changed my life. I know how much impact my life has had as a result of her showing up in it. And I'm excited for you guys to get to know her brilliance and see how you can take a lot of the principles that she shares on this episode to accelerate and improve your own life. I mean, we talk about everything from how to unravel the stories that hold you back, building on the foundation left behind by others in your life, how self-love allows you to experience a deep, rich life, how to embody your power to be a ripple for others, exploring your relationship with courage, and letting the universe surprise you, and so much more. I mean, she really, Britt really is a beautiful soul that just inspires the hell out of me. And I'm just so excited for you guys to get to know her as well as learn how, learn how, simple shifts in your beliefs and the way you see the world can have such a profound difference in the way that you experience your life. You know, belief work has been some of the most life-changing work I've ever done. And I'm excited for you guys to get to know Brit. Um, if anything on the episode resonated with you, please reach out to Brit. Let her know what what called to your soul as she explains a lot of the work that we talk about on this episode. And if you haven't already, subscribed to us on iTunes. All that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. Reach out to me on social media. Let me know how this episode lands for you. And I hope you guys are just having the most amazing year so far. I'm currently in the process of moving out of my Austin apartment. I'm going to spend some time in San Diego for a bit and uh, and explore a different frontier of living um, that is opening up for me in really intriguing ways on the other side of the country. And I'm super excited for a new chapter in my life, and I'm excited to bring you guys along for the ride. So anyways, without further ado, I'm done blabbering. Here is the amazing Miss Britt Lefko. 
Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's up, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you're all having a great day. Oh, my gosh, am I so damn excited to see you, Britt. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm probably equally excited to be here, so we're good. We're good. Like, I mean, everybody listening, you know, I see Britt once a week, and literally every second I see her, every time, the first time I see her face, it literally lights me up to the moon. Like I, 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 I just can't with this human being. And I, I mean, you have been so huge for me in so many ways over the last five months. I mean, I, I cannot think of a more just instrumental human being in my life as, as just supporting me as I've kind of stepped into different roles and worked through a lot of my own patterns and and beliefs. And I, I'm just so excited that others get to experience you and your brilliance. And so just thank you for being here, Britt. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It has been such an honor to support you. And I mean, you know, that's why I get out of bed in the morning. That's what I love. I love this stuff. I'm all about, it was funny. We were talking before, like the richest life, like for me, we have infinite potential. So why not walk towards infinity in every direction. Let's, let's not, right. Like stop at this is as happy as I can be. Like what, what's infinity. If I were to walk towards infinity in terms of happiness, love, joy, celebration, what would that look like? And so I think so much of this is about really walking towards the infinite and seeing what's possible for our human life. Why are people afraid to think about the possibilities? I think where we get really stuck is we have this divide in our brain, right? Our logical prefrontal cortex knows exactly what we want. That's where we get ideas. I want this. I want that. But if you do a functional MRI scan of someone making a decision, 95% of the brain that lights up is our amygdala. That's where our emotions live. That's where our fear lives. That's where our subconscious beliefs live. So if 95% of your brain is like, you're not good enough don't make a mistake. You're going to look like an idiot. You're going to humiliate yourself. People are going to think you're a fraud. If that's 95% of your brain, we're fighting an uphill battle, right? And so what I see all the time is people do incredible work in the here's in the how-tos, right? Here's how to be productive. Here's how to do this. But again, if 95% of your brain is living in fear, possibilities become really scary. Mm. So what's the antidote to What's the, what's the antidote? I mean, if we're playing against a 95% charged beast and we're this 5% little like little minion trying to fight back, like, I guess, like, how does one even go about starting that journey? It seems daunting to say the least. Yeah. And I mean, I think if the idea was to make it a light switch to go from screwed up to perfect, it would be really daunting. I think what makes it less daunting is when you start to explore some of those subconscious beliefs, it's really just getting a sense of like, what am I actually feeling? And I think so often we're afraid because we want to know, right? It's like, if I actually know that I don't trust myself or that I think I'm not good enough, like I'm screwed. If we can come in with an understanding of they're just thoughts, they're just feelings, And if I can face them and I can see them and I can make room for them inside of myself, then I can heal them and I can move past them. So I think the first step is just the willingness to walk into the darkness and understanding that there's no monster under the bed. It's just darkness. And we've all got it, right? We're not alone. I have worked with hundreds of people and I have never met a single person that didn't have some sort of, I'm not good enough, right? Some level of, some people call it insecurity. Some people call it, you know, lack of confidence, but they didn't have that. So understanding we're not alone. I'm really glad you brought up, I guess, the, the ideas that I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm like the insecurities that lay there, right? Like, I feel like there are the beliefs themselves, like that I'm not good enough. And then there are the feelings that are associated with those beliefs. How do you begin to sort of tackle both of like, what comes first, right? Like, I guess in the name, in the game of personal development, like, do you start with changing your mindset and your beliefs or do you start with sort of like going into the feelings and those prickly places that don't feel so good to be in? I think it actually really depends on the person, right? If people are very emotion centric, you can't start with logic, right? You have to go right to the emotions 
and address the emotion. And then you go from the emotion to the kind of logical piece. Like, so for example, if I'm, if I'm dealing with these feelings of not good enough and looking at where did that come from? Right. Where did that feeling begin? It's like, well, I was a kid and, you know, my parents would criticize me and, and, you know, they were great parents and I love them, but like, I just always felt not enough for them. Like I wanted to be better and to really start with that feeling and then to understand kind of the environment surrounding it and to get really specific on the context. And I think for some people, it's logically walking backwards to say, well, this happened and this happened and that happened. And so I understand it and then using logic to actually get into the emotion. So I think for for my answer, I would just say kind of meet people where they're at. And I think there's often kind of a one size fits all idea. I mean, I guess that's kind of, again, the how-to guides. And for me, you're not dealing with a formula. You're dealing with a complex, dynamic human being. And so meeting that person wherever they are and starting with what comes up for them is, is really the answer. And so I guess for all of the listeners, it's really starting where you are, right? If you're really kind of thrown by the emotions, start there. If you logically get it, start there. I mean, and what I'm hearing from you and one of the, one of the most empowering things that you've helped me really embody over the last several months has been the idea that it's like separating myself from the feeling. It's separating my, my, my desires, my needs from the experience itself, like my need to be seen from the feeling of being seen, my, my need to make an impact from the feeling of being impactful. And so I think that's really unique to you. I've never actually met anybody who, who's taught me how to do that. Can you go a little deeper into describing sort of the the foundation behind some of that work that you're doing. Paint the picture for what is actually possible when you begin to look at yourself through that lens. Yeah. So I think the basic foundational principle that I begin with is that the world doesn't make us feel anything, right? It's our experience of the world that produces our feelings and ultimately, obviously, our experience, right? But we are not having an objective experience of the world. We see the world through our own eyes and inside of our mind are all of these subconscious beliefs and our wants and our desires. And it's very, it's very confusing and complex to start to get lost in there. And so instead of focusing on this happened or that happened, right, it's taking a step back and saying the objective reality didn't make me feel anything. What's actually coming up for me? And when you can look as the observer of what's coming up for me, you start to separate yourself from your stuff. And again, like you said, right, we're not our thoughts, we're not our feelings. And while that's really clear in meditation, it's really hard when you're in it, right? You're having an argument with your partner or something didn't go the way that you wanted. We're not practicing meditation. So it's the real life integration of those principles that if I know the world isn't causing my feeling, then what is? And to give myself a little bit of grace to say, wow, that's my not good enough thing. That's right there. That's what's going on. It's not that they did anything to me. That's an old wound that's being triggered. This has nothing to do with them. And that level of accountability is where all of our freedom lives. Once we realize that it's a story we're creating about what happened that's making us feel how we feel, we have the power to change that story, to heal that story, to have a conversation with that story. And depending on you know the level of depth and kind of the toolkit you have, sometimes even just noticing that it's just a story gives you freedom. Sometimes you've got to dig a little deeper. You got to look at where is this story coming from? What are other stories that I could tell, right? What are other data points that disprove my story? So there's a lot you can do with that material. But the first step for me is realizing the world and everyone in it is not making me feel anything. My stories about the world and everyone in it is what's making me feel these things. And so I'm the one that has the power to shift that story. Okay. One, thank you for that. And it's, it's so empowering to just remember that we are the writers of this dam. Yes. Whether we were consciously writing the story or we were unconsciously writing it, it's still being written from our vantage point. And yeah. so, all right, so becoming aware of the story is step one. How do you actually begin unraveling the story? So I have a couple different answers. And the first one is I would look at 
the wound underneath the story. So sometimes if the story is nobody listens to me, I would look at the wound where that began. And I am not saying by any stretch of the imagination, go swimming in it. Do not go swimming in your stories. You don't need to refill the feelings. You don't need to relive it. When I was seven, this happened. Don't go there, right? Notice it. Just notice it. Okay, well, when I was a kid, I always felt like no one listened to me. I had seven brothers and sisters, right? No one ever had time for me, right? So be aware of where the story comes from without having to relive the trauma or the feeling. And once you get there, I would encourage you to take a stance of, and again, we can't be fully objective, but of curiosity. So, okay, so what happened? I was in a particular environment with particular people at a particular time. Can I learn about the world and all people in it and adulthood and forevermore from that? Can I actually learn about that? And as soon as you get inside of that curiosity and you really get, we don't know anything for sure about the future because of the past, right? An example I use often is you grow up in Alaska. It's freezing. You wake up every morning. It's cold, right? Through the winter. It's cold. It's cold. Or Antarctica is a better example, right? Because it's gear around. It's cold. It's cold. It's cold. In the middle of the night, Raj, I throw you over my shoulder and I ship you off to Hawaii. And you wake up in the morning. How are you going to expect to feel? Mm. Cold. And you wake up every single day waiting for it to be cold. Because our brain does this brilliant, amazing thing called pattern matching. I call it pattern matching, right? Pattern matching. I've seen this before. I know what's going to happen. It is the most beautiful, self-protective thing we do. And it also gets us through the day. If I open a refrigerator and I'm like, well, I've never seen this refrigerator before. I wonder what's going to happen. Well, I've seen a refrigerator. So when I look at yours, I can kind of more or less guess what's going to be inside of it. That is so valuable. But the problem is our future doesn't actually tell us or our past doesn't actually tell us anything about our future. It just tells us about our past. So given the beliefs I had at the time, the people I was surrounding myself with, the work I had done, the awareness I had, that's how things panned out. But what about with other people? When I've done different work on myself with different awareness and different experiences at a different time in my life, those two things have nothing to do with each other. So part of it is actually looking for data points that support the feeling you want to have. That's really important. So I'm going to say it again, right? We typically look for data points that support our crap, our trauma, our pain, because that feels safe. If I can protect myself from it, it won't happen again. If I can be prepared and I can look for the hurt, then I'll be ready. But I think the reality is there are plenty of data points points that match a different story. There are data points that match the story we actually want to have and the way we want to feel. So what was a time that I did feel good enough? What was a time when someone did listen to me? What was a time that this belief that I had wasn't actually true? And when we start to look for data points to prove how we want to feel and going back to possibility to prove what's possible, all of a sudden these beliefs start to break down a little bit. So one of the things that you can do is when you notice this negative belief or this limiting feeling or this heaviness, well, I felt that way as a kid. Cool. So what does that tell you about your future? What does that tell you about what's possible? What does that tell you about what would happen if you showed up differently, right? If you open up space for a different story. The child version of you that made that initial belief still holds on to that. Yes. So yeah, sure. I could walk around and pick up all these new data points. But if the one that's in charge of the feeling itself is not really convinced. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I, so how do you actually begin to show your, the version of you that made that belief that, that originated that story, that it's safe to let it go and it, that it's safe to find a new story. And it's like, how do, how do you actually start having that conversation? I am so happy you asked that question because that goes right into one of the things that I'm the most passionate about, which is about actually creating a different experience for that child. Our brain can't tell much of a difference between our memories and our fabricated memories. And so what you actually have an opportunity to do is to create healing and safety and love and power for that child. So one of the one of the most beautiful things that I think you can give yourself is if you imagine being a kid and going through that and standing next to that kid 
and telling them whatever it is that they need to hear, giving them whatever it is that they need to have, imagining them feeling however it is that they needed to feel, you can heal that wound. And it's so powerful, right? You're not just having a conversation with a child, right? It's not traditional inner child work. It's actually imagining as a little kid, having that wisdom given to you. So for example, let's imagine that we're talking about feeling unworthy or a feeling of not mattering. And you're hanging out with that kid. Like what would it have taken for them to feel like they matter? Maybe it was they needed to understand that their parents were human, something we don't really get as kids. And to understand that their stuff said everything about their parents and what they were working through and nothing about them. Maybe it was needing to be listened to. Maybe it was needing to feel like they were safe to be powerful in their room. And you just create an environment or a situation. I always use with clients that they go over to Auntie Britt's house, but if you're not working (laughs) and you'll get to go to Auntie Britt's house, right? Where could you have gone? Was there someone in your life that was really safe and loving or was there a space completely by yourself? in your room with the door closed, or if you shared a bedroom in your bathroom with the door closed, where you got to sit, whether it's with your, again, with yourself now today, and yourself now today gets to create whatever you needed. And then it's not intellectual. You ask yourself, what does that feel like? What does that feel like? So you close your eyes, you're five years old, and you, as you are today, are sitting with this kid being like, bro, It wasn't your fault. I I can tell you now, I've met so many people. Like people have stuff. You're five. You're awesome, right? And to give that five-year-old that experience. And one thing that I'll say for anybody who has that skepticism voice pop up now, because this is typically where the skeptic pops up. If you imagine you go into a hospital and there's 12 babies that are born. And you look at those 12 babies, you're going to be like, oh, that one's going to have an alcoholic mother and that one's going to get dumped and that one's not going to be cool in school. They're probably unworthy. Should we throw them in the trash chute? Immediately, you're like, well, no. So when you see it from that perspective, that really helps because you're not loving your five-year-old because they did a good job. You're not loving them because they lived up to their parents' expectations or because everyone liked them. This is not about finding worth in the fact that you did a good job. It's the opposite. It's realizing that you're unlearning back to your infancy. There's no such thing as a baby born who's not worthwhile. And the fact that they don't live up to their parents' expectations does not prove that they're not worthwhile. It just shows that they didn't live up to their parents' expectations. Great. Where the shift really happens is when you see yourself as a little infant coming into the world, never in your right mind are you going to throw that infant in the trash chute or tell them that they're unworthy because of their childhood. It's almost remembering that you are divine at the very core. And I even, if I think about a baby, I mean, a baby comes onto this planet and everybody wants to be around that baby. Everybody wants to touch it. Everybody wants to be around it. Why? Because there's this genuine purity around a child that doesn't, there's no conditions. There's nothing, there's nothing learned. It is pure. It's, it's, it, there's like that innocence to it. And I, what I, what I, I love most about this idea, this philosophy of living, really, what's what it is, right? Like this is a philosophy that you're 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 speaking to, which is the philosophy that we are perfect as we are. We just need to remember our own divinity along the way. And and so what talk to me about like one, how you got into this. Cause I know that's a beautiful, rich story, and how you morphed into realizing this specific way of actually making an impact. I'm just curious. This is going to definitely tie a whole bunch of things together, but my dad created the Lefko method when, before I was born, like right around the time I was born. And my dad was a total genius, amazing, wonderful human, wanted to end suffering on the planet. And he had a rough childhood and struggled with depression and just really felt stuck in his life. Can you describe what the Lefko method is for anybody listening? Because I don't know. Uh, yeah, just real no, quick definitely. before you dive into the story. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a process to help people shift their beliefs. That'll make a lot more sense kind of in the context of the story. But my dad was a management consultant and he got 
paid money to go tell businesses what to do. And he would go and he'd tell them what to do. And then they'd be like, what great advice. That's so fantastic. Great advice. And then they bring him back and then they never seemed to implement the advice he had given. So my dad being the curious thinker that he was, was like, why do people take good advice? Like, why do people pay for advice? And then they don't take it. And he was sitting on an airplane flying back. He was working with Land's End at the time. And he was sitting on an airplane and he all of a sudden was like overcome by the question, why don't I take good advice? Like not only are these companies not taking good, like I'm depressed. Like I know exactly what to do. People have been giving me advice my whole life. Why don't I take it? And he's like, there's gotta be a reason. And what he realized was that reason was our beliefs. That if you believe I'm not worthwhile, if I make a mistake or fail, I'll be rejected and say, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to look stupid you're not going to put yourself out there in the same way. And people can tell you all day long, hey, Raj, you really got to put yourself out there if you want to succeed in life. But if I have a latent fear of failure, putting myself out there is going to cause problems. So relationships, procrastination, what do I know I need to do? I know I need to be productive. And I've read 17 books that tell me how. But if I believe that I'm a failure and if I put myself out there, I'm going to be humiliated... I'm going to procrastinate. So all of a sudden he started to realize that every pattern we have, perfectionism, procrastination, depression, anxiety, fear of public speaking, that it was all explained by beliefs. Of course you're depressed if you believe helpless and you're hopeless and you're powerless. Of course you have anxiety if you believe that the world is a dangerous place and if you make a mistake, you're going to be humiliated, right? So once he started to understand this, he figured out how to shift these beliefs and it's fast and it's easy and it's brilliant. And I grew up in that family. So I have been swimming in this stuff since I was four. I mean, I remember my parents leading a training when I was like seven and walking around and someone asking a question and being like, well, it's actually, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I've been inside of this my whole life. And I've always, you know, I've always seen how powerful it was. And I knew I wanted to do something with it. And I just didn't know what I I watched my dad, you know, my dad wasn't a businessman. He was an inventor and a creator. And so I watched my dad kind of struggle in business. And I was like, how do I take this on without carrying that? Right? Like, I don't want his business, but I, I do. I love it and I honor it and I value it. And so I used to just do belief work. And so I would have clients. I did all one-on-one clients and I would do belief work. But what I found is my dad was very logical and we would have these really beautiful kind of back and forth dialogues when I was a kid. And I was like, he'd be creating something. And I'm like, but what about this? And what about the emotional side of that? And like, what about looking at things this way? And what about the infinite inside of that? And he always thought it was amazing, but it just wasn't him. I think I used to think honoring my dad was doing his work. And what I realized after he died was honoring my dad was actually innovating on the work, making it mine, using a lifetime of understanding this and seeing this to create new processes and to expand the work in terms of what was possible. And especially towards the end of my dad's life, he became way more spiritual and he really started to ask bigger questions and I really watched him grow inside of this work. And I think that really inspired me to do the same. And so over you know, the last few years, my focus has really been on how can I make this something bigger and deeper and richer than kind of the foundation that he laid. And so that's been, that's really been my, my focus and it's been so beautiful. I can't imagine that journey has been easy. Right, Like really learning to like almost come into your own in some ways, like almost own your own craft, own your own brilliance and trust that it is uniquely yours to give to the world. So like, what does that journey look like for you? I guess in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was actually incredibly painful. It was confusing. And my history with this work is actually really interesting. I despised it when I was a kid because it was expected from a really young age that I was going to be able to eliminate all of my beliefs. And there was a level because I knew all the answers, like there was a level of perfectionism that I was trying to attain that I was the kid of these two self-help gurus. And I remember, I mean, Raj, I literally remember being four or five years old and having clients come out because this was before zoom. My mom had all of her clients in the house 
And she would call me down and they would be like, oh my God, you, you're born with these parents. You must have no issues. You must just be perfect. And I look back at these people and I'm like, God, what were they thinking? (laughs) Why? So I actually despised it because for me, the work represented the perfect that I was supposed to be and never could be. And I dealt with self-loathing that I mean, just completely ran my internal life where I was amazing on paper. I've always been amazing on paper, but I hated myself for not being the perfect child of perfect parents. And for a long time, I thought it was just my curse. And it ended up being, of course, my curse and my blessing because I've got empathy like a bitch. Like I can't even tell you. I know all the reels. I've got all of the empathy. And it, it gave me so much compassion because I know it feels like to feel all of it. I mean, there was just, it was so messy and I tried to eliminate my own beliefs, but because I already knew the answers and I knew the process so well, I couldn't. So here I am helping everyone else eliminate their beliefs and I can't and I feel like a fraud and so I walked away from the work. I was like I can't do this. I would eliminate beliefs with people that I would give an arm and a leg to get rid of myself. And here people are and it was beautiful, but in tears telling me about their freedom, I'm getting thank you letters, I have phone calls and everybody's saying you changed my life and here I am and I'm like I'm still miserable. I still have all the beliefs I got rid of with you. Like I, I can't I can't. And so I left and I walked away and I said, I'm not going back until I can clean up my own life. I'm not going back until I can be a mirror for people. And that was when my journey, I think, really shifted that I'm not here to eliminate people's beliefs. And I think that kickstarted this whole journey of doing it differently because I'm not here to eliminate someone's beliefs, right? It like reminds me of the Tony Robbins. I'm not your guru, right? I'm here to be a mirror for what's possible. And I want you to look at me I want you to see yourself and I want you to work through what's possible through our relationship. And I couldn't do that when I hated myself. So I had to, I had to use something different than the process because that wasn't working on me. I had to use something different for my own growth. And once I got to a place where I was like, okay, I actually really love who I am. I don't just like who I am. Like I, I love who I am outside of my achievements, outside of my accomplishments, outside of the compliments that that stuff is, the stuff I can kind of put to the side. I just love who I am. Then now I can do this work because my compassion is deeper. My empathy is greater. My wisdom is more clear and more clean because it's mine. And I think that that's where I really found myself and I had to really reject the work in order to do that. How has loving yourself so deeply allowed you to experience the richest possible life that you're experiencing? I love that question. When I'm focused on what I do, I'm always limited. And when I'm focused on who I am, it gives me permission to live 100% because I'm not waiting until I accomplish something or achieve something or I'm liked by someone in order to live. I'm already living. I think a lot about this concept of deserving, which I feel like is really rampant in our society. And one of the things that I think really set me free was I made a distinction between what we get and what we deserve. If you're born into poverty, it's not because you don't deserve money. If you're born into illness, it's not because you don't deserve help. If you're born into an abusive alcoholic family, it's not because you don't deserve safety. What we get has nothing to do with what we deserve. We are, again, like you said, we come into the world's consciousness, this spirit, ready to have a human experience. And when I looked at it from that point of view, I was no longer earning my joy, right? I didn't have to earn it. I just got to have it. And this sounds really dark, but I've said this before and I love it so much. What it, what I really got is that we're on a planet that at some point is going to explode. And... <laughs> So here I am, right? Here I am on this planet that's about to explode and I've got two options. I can spend it worrying and proving myself and waiting until I am a certain way to be happy and to deserve and to have joy. Or I can ask myself the question, how can I optimize this human life? Like what a miracle that amongst all of these planets, like here's our planet and there's all these other planets and that's just in our solar system, right? And just in our galaxy. And to be on this planet and have this flash where I get to see what's possible, like that's how I honor 
the universe, my relationship to the universe. For me, I honor the universe by enjoying its glory. Like I get to see mountains and I get to smell and touch and taste. And like, I get to jump in an ocean. Like, wow, universe, look at, look at how incredible you are. I'm going to honor you by touching and tasting and smelling all of it. And I'm going to honor what's possible for a human by feeling all of it. And that set me free. That set me free that I wasn't waiting to deserve something. The sun is shining, whether I'm dancing outside and it's rays or I'm hiding under my bed. So it's not like, it's not like I'm doing anyone a favor. I'm just wasting what already is. Again, the mountains are going to be glorious and beautiful. The ocean is going to crash with waves. The sun is going to shine. So who am I helping? And I think the next level up for me was maybe if someone is hiding under their bed and they look out their window and they see me dancing in the sun, maybe that will be a mirror for them to say, if she can do it, it's possible. Maybe I can do it too. And so the more that I dance in the sun, the more I help others inspire themselves to go dance in the sun alongside me. Mm. Damn, Britt. That is like, well, and I mean, I, I, the, the beautiful thing is I feel that from you every single time we're together, every session we've ever had together. Like there's just this, there's this incredible, beautiful, limitless, boundless sort of nature to expansion that you embody and then kind of lend a hand out and bring everyone up too. And and I think that's what makes you such a unique human being. Like you truly, like you're one of the few people I know that, that do so much of the work on yourself so that you can come out there and, and be that for others. And I guess like, talk to me about the idea of being a mirror. How does that inspire you? I feel the same way in a lot of ways. Like I'm like, I want to be the biggest mirror I can for someone else. And sometimes it's really difficult. Because like it can be really triggering to be a mirror for someone else too. So how do you authentically stand up or powerfully stand up in your authenticity, knowing that that authenticity might trigger others and might create this wrecking ball of, of damage as you go about actually living your best life? Yeah, I love that question. So the concept of mirroring, for me, I think probably most describes what feels authentically me. Right. That again, I have a foundation of belief work, but that feels like the kind of the ground that I stood on and now I've climbed a ladder. Right. And for me, that that ladder, I think a lot is about this concept of mirroring. And for me, mirroring is really about seeing that we are everything and it's all about what we put magnifying glass on. So there's nothing that we're not, right? And we're capable of all feelings from the darkest to the lightest. And one way that I kind of think about it is like we are a microcosm of the universe, right? Just, just as the universe is complex, so are we. Just as the universe has all of the things, so do we. And if you look at us on a biological level or physiological level, think about how many cells we have and what is going on, Right. There is an entire universe inside of our body that is existing in this incredibly magical yet scientific way. It's the same with the universe, right? That it is incredible. All of the things happening all at the same time from a cellular level. And so if it all exists, why not find the places where we exist together in unison? So anything that is you is also me. Because all of the things that you're capable of and all the things that you're showing and all the things that you're feeling, so is for me. And if you're a mirror for me, I'm a mirror for you. And so what I really focus on is by being my highest, best, most authentic self, others are able to see their highest, best, most authentic versions of themselves too. And it's not an off in the distance. Again, this is not who we're becoming. This is who we have always been. This has nothing to do with I'm achieving and so can you, right? Because I am all of me and enjoying and celebrating and living into that experience of being all of myself. And so when you look at me, you can see the same 
in you and it becomes a dialogue, right? So it's not just, I see it. It's through our conversations, through the things that I say that help you see that within yourself. And sometimes that's the vulnerability. And that's the, like I shared before, the experience was painful. I despised myself. I was like, I am the lowest thing in the world. But now working through that, when I see that in someone else, I'm just like, oh yeah, I totally see that. And what they see back is she worked through that. Okay. Maybe I can too. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a conversation and it's a back and forth and mirroring is not about saying like, oh, well she has it. So now I'm fine. Right. It's about having a dialogue and creating and co-creating from that space of mirror. Right. And creating this kind of shared experience where we both rise together. And again, where my, my life can be an inspiration, not because it has anything to do with me, but because it has everything to do with you. Mm, That last piece that changes the idea of being an inspiring human being. Like most people place the idea of being an inspiration and what you've achieved, what you've accomplished, the things you've already done in the world. But what you're really alluding to is the idea that who you are is the inspiration, right? The way you show up, the way you're dancing, the way you say yes, the way you say no, like it's in your everyday actions, in your everyday experiences that creates the the richness that is permission for others to then find that within themselves. Why don't more people, one, know that they have this power within themselves? And and how can we reverse that? How can we begin to shift the conversation around that? So if somebody's listening to this conversation right now, how can they embody this idea of being a mirror to sort of just be a ripple, be a better ripple, be a bigger ripple in the world? When you ask that question, I just imagine myself at like 10 years old, laying in bed and writing in my journal and writing down all of my negative beliefs, thinking that if I could identify them and I could logic my way through them, that I wouldn't hate myself so much. They wouldn't be so miserable that I wouldn't be so afraid and just being in in the washing machine. Like I wasn't going anywhere. I was just going in circles and going in circles and going in circles. And so when you ask like, why do more people not do it? For me, it's like, it's terrifying because what we're asking ourselves to do is to fight against our beliefs. Like, I know you think that you're worthless and no one's ever going to love you, but go out, go put yourself out there. It's really important, right? So I think the way we ask people to shift and, and not you know, I'm not criticizing any self-help people, but I think the way we often ask people to shift is just to push through and be brave. And I don't think that's fair. I just don't think that's realistic, right? You can push through as much as you want, but the minute that someone rejects you or you fall short or you fail, I mean, it's like the entire world comes crashing down on your face. Like it's suffocating. And so I think for me, where the shift becomes doable is instead of asking ourselves to do the things that we're terrified of doing, it's just starting with the healing, starting with the acknowledgement that it really did hurt and it really did suck. And then it sucks to feel not good enough. And it sucks to feel like we don't matter. And it sucks to feel like everybody's worth loving but us. And again, those are some of the darker, deeper ones. Some of them are more casual, right? That just other people are smarter than me, or I'm never going to get everything I want, or that I can't be really successful. So I'm fine, right? I'm not, I'm not feeling terrible about myself. I'm just kind of caught in a loop of feeling like I'm really attached to my achievements, or I always interrupt people because I have to be the smartest person in the room, right? And I think that the level of bravery we ask of people, again, is just a little bit unrealistic. And so where I shifted and where I started to actually embody my full self was really in giving myself space to heal and admitting to myself just how true all of my beliefs felt. But yeah, I do feel like I'm like people love me until they maybe really get to know me. Like everybody says they love me, but there is a part of me that feels like it's because I show up well. And as soon as I don't show up well, that's going to go away. And once I created space for my beliefs, again, for that little girl and space for my sadness and my fear and my pain, that gave me the brain power and the heart space to start to work through it. But trying to shut it down, I was not getting anywhere. Trying to overcome and outsmart my beliefs, I just got tired. There's something really powerful around the bravery to create space. 
I never thought of it that way. Cause you're right. That is one of, that's actually why I'm so inspired by people who do the work. Like people who are choosing to look at their shit, look at their beliefs, look at their patterns, like go into their trauma. I mean, like that is the, the hardest. I mean, it really is the it most really difficult is. thing. It, it is like, it is the hardest work in the world. And, and it inspires me because like, you're right. Like it takes so much courage to make the space one, it's the awareness that we can. And then once you have the awareness that you can, there's a choice that has to be made. And that choice comes with a lot of courage. And what is your relationship with courage? I guess, like, how do you incite courage in yourself to do the work, to be brave, to, to, to pursue your, your highest and best good? Like, where does the courage to, to be Brit come from? Raj, I love your questions. I love them so much. <laughs> You're such a great question asker. So it's funny that you use this word. Courage has been a word that I have really wrapped my arms around. Again, I think asking yourself to be so courageous that you're flying past your stuff is totally unrealistic. But like you said, the courage to face your stuff, courage is everything to me. And the reason why is because I know how the story ends if I'm not courageous. I know what it feels like. I've seen it. I've played it out. I know what it feels like to play small. I know what it feels like to not stand up for myself. I know what it feels like to reject love. I know what it feels like to put myself last. I know what it feels like to get lost in my achievement loop. I was psycho about my grades. I had a 3.95 in college and I would go up to my professors and be like, I got an A minus. I'm not mad. I just want to talk about it and like, see how I could have been better. My professors are like, what is wrong with you? You got an A minus. I don't give A's. And I'm like, yeah, but, but in order to get an A, like what would I have to do? And they're like, what? So I know what it feels like. And I know how that story ends. So if I want a different story, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a little bit of courage. Again, I'm not planning into the future that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to do this. No, I'm just going to feel into courage as an emotion, as a state of being, as something that I have the gift and the honor of holding. Lucky me that I get to have courage as a muscle that I get to strengthen. And then I just get to feel into that. And I think that looking at my life as I've got two roads one of them is the road where I keep doing what I was doing and then I don't fully let in love or then I'm like mediocrely successful, but not fully successful or I'm super successful, but I have no home life or whatever that story is. And to say like, is it worth it? Like, is it worth it to have a little bit of courage to not do that? And if I do have a little bit of courage, what's possible? And one other thing I want to say on this is when I dream into my future, I do not dream into the details ever. I dream into how it's going to feel. I do not care what the details look like because again, I played perfect for a long time and I was not happy. And if I dream into the details, I'm going to dream into a life where I live inside of a glass house and everything's perfect and wonderful, but I never healed my heart and I can't enjoy it. So instead of dreaming into the details, I dream into how I want to feel. And I do not know why it works so well. I cannot I cannot explain this for the life of me, Raj, but every feeling I have dreamed into, I've created. And I dreamed into love in stages, right? Like I dreamed into love first from friendship. I was like, okay, like I want like a level of intimacy and friendship that like, that feels like this, right? And I'm like, feel into it. I'm like imagining it. And then I completely let it go. I let go of all the details. And then I met my best friend and he is the dopest human being on the planet. Like everyone in my life knows about him. He's amazing. And then I was like, okay, let's keep going. I'm like, let's play with this. Like, what do I want to feel in my future? Like, what do I want it to feel like? And I'm like, all right, like, let's go back to love. Like, what if I dream into like romantic love and like what that feels like? No details, no checklist. No, he has this job or does this. He respects me. No details. What does it feel like? And then I met John. Everyone loves John, right? Then I met John and everyone's like, what? I'm like, I know, isn't it so cool? And then I did it around freedom. And then I really dreamed into what freedom felt like for me. And then I did some like kick-ass travel. And then I like started growing my business more in a way where I create my schedule. And so the idea of all of this to say is like, it took courage for me to dream into a feeling, but the reason why it wasn't burdensome was because I wasn't setting goals. If I'm setting goals, I can fall short. I can screw up. I can fail. 
But if I'm dreaming into a feeling, I can't really fail. I'm just telling my mind and my body and my heart what I want. And then my spirit's like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. And I interact with the world differently because I know what I'm working towards. I'm not working towards a goal I can fall short of. I'm working towards embodying a feeling. And that's really inspiring and motivating for me. And that gives me courage because I know what I'm fighting for. And it's worth it. I love you. Like I, I, I just, I, I just honestly, one of my favorite things to do in the world is just listen to you talk. <laughs> like, like I, I just know, well, cause you're so, you're inspired. It's embodied. You're, you're feeling it. I can feel you feeling it. And that's what makes you such an incredible human being. And I'm just, I, I feel so lucky that I get to have you in my life. I'm lucky that, and I feel lucky that everyone listening here gets a chance to like, just experience your magic because the way you even describe feeling like that last piece around feeling that is freedom. Literally. It's like universe, God, I want more of this in my life. Surprise me. And I think this is a quote from you. Uh, you told me this a while back. I think it was Raj, forget what you want. Everything in your life is at like something around like, don't get what you want. It's like, what about getting what you don't even know you want or something like that? It was like something around that. And like, I just remember it being like, oh my God, that's, that's disembodied. Like when you feel the feeling and let go, you allow the universe to give you something that you didn't even realize you wanted which is actually 10 X what you actually like. It's like 10 X what you thought you needed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you literally nailed it that it's anything that you can dream up is limited by what you can dream up. So instead of trying to dream up from our limited state, let go of that and just see what's possible, right? If we dream into a feeling, then that feeling can help us to create details that we never would have dreamed of, right? I have things in my life that I never could have thought up by myself. But the universe, when I vibrate at that feeling level, can show me what's possible and can blow my mind. And like, that is for me what living is about, that I used to want control. I was like, let me create it. Like, let me do it. But I'm like, then I'm never in awe. I'm never shocked. I'm never surprised. I'm never inspired. I am constantly inspired by the universe. And that was for me where humility was born because I thought I was humble. Raj was not humble, was not humble. I thought I was humble because I was like, I'm like such a good, generous person. And like, I'm humble. No, I was not humble. I wanted to create everything with my hands. And then I wanted to be like, I did it. And when I let go of that, I was like, oh no, I don't do anything. But the universe, like I'll work with the universe. Not like I'm sitting on my butt lazy. I'm a hard worker, but like, when I let the universe surprise me and show up and then me just be in awe, it completely shifted my relationship to the universe and it completely changed my life. And it reminds me of what you said about inspiration. Like for all of your amazing, wonderful listeners, I think one of the biggest things that has inspired me is the idea of being an inspiration to myself, right? Mm. If I love everyone else so much and I want the best for everyone else, for me, being inspiring is the way to do that. So what does it look like to inspire myself? Like what does it actually look like to wake up in the morning and inspire the crap out of myself? And I work in tandem with the universe to make that happen. And I used to, I think, value compliments, but they made me uncomfortable. And what I realized is compliments are about what I do. It has nothing to do with inspiration. So feel myself inspiring people and let that inspire me further and don't get lost in the compliments. So when somebody gives me a compliment, I feel if there's inspiration there, if they're inspired, I feel that inspiration. If they're not, thank you. Great. You're probably talking about yourself and not me. Right. Often when we compliment people, it's just what we see in ourselves and there's all sorts of stuff around complimenting. I don't really care, but if I can feel the inspiration behind the compliment, I kind of scrap the compliment. I just feel the inspiration. I'm like, yes. Yes, right. I take it right in. Like, I don't let any of that go to waste. I feel all of it. Britt, I just love your perspectives on life. Like, it really is refreshing. And it is, I mean it when I say that you've you've been one of the most instrumental people to enter my life in the last year. And I just don't know if I could be doing what I'm doing without you. So I love you. Thank you for just being who you are. You do a lot of great things. You yeah. you're 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 fucking smart. All that stuff, but <laughs> you're just just at your thank heart you. just thank you for being who you are. Like I really 
I'm just so grateful. Um, so talk to anyone listening uh, who may want to get involved with some of your work. Like what is available to what is what's available? Yeah. I will do that before I say that, I, before I do that, I want to say one last thing to all of your listeners that hopefully will, will sink in a little bit that I think as a society, we make self-love feel very confusing. And I think it feels sometimes like we don't have it. But what I want to offer is every time we've criticized ourselves, every time we've beaten ourselves down, where that's really coming from is that we believe on some level that if we're better, that people will love us. And we love ourselves so much that we want to be loved. That our self-hatred is not actually self-hatred it's self-love in disguise because we believe by hating ourselves we're going to be better and then when we're better we're going to be loved and so when we think about investing in ourselves and this doesn't need to be with me just in general right just after this conversation if you're inspired to check in with yourself spend some time with yourself invest in yourself in some way that we know what it feels like to be miserable and we don't want to be miserable and that we're worth it and I really believed that I wasn't worth it for a long time. And so I invested in everyone but myself. And since I've started investing in myself, it just awoken something in me of like, I've always loved myself. I just didn't know it. I was so busy judging myself that I didn't realize that underneath that, I loved myself. And so being miserable sucks. And for anybody who's struggling or feels stuck or stagnant, I just... I invite you, encourage you, ask you, beg you to pause and ask yourself, like, what am I getting out of not investing in myself? Like, am I just recreating my stories and like, what's possible if I do? And as somebody who gets it and felt the most stuck and the most broken of anyone in the world, if I can crawl out of it, you can definitely crawl out of it. So I just ask you to invest in yourself. Hopefully you'll do that on your own. If people do want to work with me further. I do one-on-one coaching. I do some belief work and then I do a bunch of other really cool, fun things. We'll laugh. We'll have fun. It doesn't need to be, again, you reliving your trauma. I don't want you to do that. I want to play. I want to celebrate. I want to explore. I want to expand. So um, I take one-on-one clients. I have a training coming up. It starts May 5th. It's an eight-week online training course. We'll meet once a week. And the training course helps to both identify and then start to shift and heal some of those beliefs. So I'll teach you a little bit about what I do and how to start to do it. It'll be a lot of the basics. So whether you just want kind of the self-awareness, whether you want to be able to use it with others and become a coach or kind of have a side hustle of being a good person, those are all on the table. So the course um, is coming up. May 5th. And yeah, if if you want to reach out to me, my email is just my name, Britt Lefko at gmail.com, B-R-I-T-T-L-E-F-K-O-E at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, whether it's, hey, you sparked something in me and I'm thinking about it. Cool. Like I want to, again, that's what inspires me. That's why I'm on this planet. So reach out if you want to speak further. I would be glad to have a conversation. I don't do a ton of business on Instagram and Facebook, but Brit Adventures is my Instagram, B-R-I-T-T Adventures. Find me on Facebook, email me, get in touch with me anyway. I would love to hear from you. You're the best. Uh, we'll, we'll make everybody listening, we'll make all of those links available in the show notes so you're not frantically writing them down. But uh, <laughs> Britt, I got one last question for you in yes. the midst of everything you're doing and everywhere you've been. How do you stay grounded? Mm, I stay grounded. This is actually a really counterintuitive example, but by getting excited. I really do. Like I dream into infinite possibility and it reminds me that I'm here and that I want to be here and wanting to be here is actually a really big first step for me, right. Of actually feeling like I'm in choice and I'm not just here because I'm not dead, right. That I'm in choice. And so I stay grounded by thinking about nature. I get really inspired by dreaming about nature and how beautiful it is. And just that, like, what a miracle that I get to live on a planet that has amazing people and great conversations and delicious food and beautiful mountains. And so I stay grounded by getting excited. And that brings me to gratitude. And gratitude for me is really grounding. So excitement brings me to gratitude and gratitude brings me full circle back to being grounded. Mm. 
Can't wait to give you a hug in person soon. Um, but, Thank uh, you so much for having me and to all of the listeners. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen and to be with us and to be a part of our conversation. I'm sending you all of my love. Everybody, that is a wrap from this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Britt. And from us, Stay Grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.